0: Hello, kindred spirits, and welcome to Modcast, the podcast of the Ella Montgomery Institute, broadcasting from the beautiful campus of the University of Prince Edward Island. We are so glad you have tuned in. This is Modcast season 2, episode three. I'm your host, Dr. Brenton Dickerson. In our quest to discover cutting-edge scholarship about the life and works of Lucy Maud Montgomery and join imaginative readers throughout the world, we welcome to the microphone our special guest. Melanie J. Fishbane. Melanie J. Fishbane has an MFA in writing for children and young adults from the Vermont College of Fine Arts, and an MA in history from Concordia University. With over 17 years of experience in children's publishing and international lecturing on literature in Ella Montgomery, she also teaches English and children's lit at Humber, George Brown, and Seneca Colleges in Toronto. In 2017, Melanie published her first YA novel, Maud, a novel inspired by the life of Ella Montgomery. As a writer and scholar, Melanie wrote, My pen shall heal, not hurt. Writing as therapy in Rilla Vingleside and the Blythes are quoted, in the Ella Montgomery's Rainbow Valleys collection. And more recently, in the Journal of Ella Montgomery Studies, she wrote a writer's reflection comparing Anne Frank's diary in Montgomery's Anne of Green Gables. From 2014 to 2021, Melanie served on the Ellen Montgomery Institute Management Committee board and was the marketing manager for the website. Currently, Mel is a member of the Journal of Ella Montgomery Studies editorial board and serves as a co-chair on the Ellen Montgomery Institute equity, diversity and inclusion committee. She is also on the ModCast masthead as our first web coordinator. So, Mel, welcome to the ModCast.
1: Thank you, and thank you for having me. It's very exciting to finally have a chance to chat and be on the show.
0: Absolutely. This is, <laughs> I, I'm very pleased to have you here. Uh, we were able to meet, uh, I guess, at the 2018 conference. Or, uh, you recruited me, I think, for the social media team. I think I did, the, I
2: did. Yep,
0: that's oh, right. Wow. Excellent. Yeah, <laughs> that was good times, good times, yeah. But back, back when we saw one another with some some sort of frequency, right? So. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Good stuff. Well, and so of course, as my Modcast listeners are avid readers, right? This is where I get myself into trouble. And so we want to talk about the books on our bedside tables. And so uh, I want to hear what you're reading right now. I'm, uh, I just finished a read through of American speculative fiction writer, a feminist writer, Ursula K. Le Guin, uh, and read her Hanish uh, Cycle and her Earthsea series. And it's just been, I think I read a lot of Le Guin this year and then now i'm i've moved on to um i'm on a hugo panel board uh, like a panelist uh, for the hugo awards in december and they uh, all the finalists this year are women and so i'm reading through the the finalists one by one and so right now i actually i just finished rebecca roanhorse's uh Incredible book, um, kind of like a Mesoamerican reimagining from a science fiction or, f- or more like a mythic or fantasy point of view. Uh, she's a an Indigenous American, uh, Black and American writer from the southeast and and the southwest, and it was just it was just so rich visually. And so that's there. And of course, I'm always reading uh, through Montgomery's short stories. What about yourself, Mel? What are you reading these days?
1: Um. Well. It's a funny question because, you know, over the course of the pandemic, I found my reading was kind of all over the place. And the first little while I couldn't really concentrate or read very much. Um, So um, there was very little pleasure reading, quote unquote. and, Mm -hmm. um, And then I was really trying to investigate certain things like, um, because I, I'm, on, I'm on a couple of equity, diversity, inclusion committees, both at the LMI and um, actually at Humber, where I teach, um, it was really important to me that I do a lot of reading in that way. So um, two books that I really liked was uh, Michael Sales's Craft in the Real World and Felicia Rose's Chavez The Anti-Racist Writing Workshop. both books are really good about sort of taking apart our western notions of what a writing workshop looks like what plot looks like what writing looks like and how and then sort of reframe it through a different lens and so that's been really important in terms of my teaching and how i approach how i've even been approaching scholarship um and then i've also um i'm I'm a big fan of amber ruffin she's like a comedian (laughs) From the states and uh, she wrote a book with her sister called uh, Lacey lamar called you'll never believe what happened to Lacey, crazy stories about racism <laughs> and it really is stuff that's you just um, as a person who's white i don't you know it's a good sort of way to kind of learn about those experiences um, and uh, have more compassion and understanding and start seeing things through a different lens um, and then on the other end of the things, um, I also read, read Jewish Victorian romances because, um, <laughs> uh, and so Felicia Roth Grossman's one's called Appetites and Vices, and it's totally like one of those marriage and convenience books. Um, and basically part of that is also because I'm trying to write books through my own Jewish lens, mm. whatever that actually means. And so reading what other people are doing. And trying to write things that are not just based in trauma, but also joy and love. And so it's really nice to be able to read those kinds of books. Um, and then in terms of um, my research, um, I've been going down this whole rabbit hole of 19th century Jewish women's writing, um, exploring the works of Amy Levy and Grace Aguilar. They're um, they're both on the opposite spectrums of the 19th century. <laughs> Um, but I've been working on some stuff around, uh, trying to find the Jewish girl, I guess when we talk about like future research, I can talk a bit more about that. And so there's that. And then I'm revisiting Montgomery's early writings for a paper. And then there's always something like like reading a bunch of things, but yeah, I would say like that's where my reading has sort of been going. It's like, on one hand, I've been trying to really educate myself. And then on the other hand, then I just try to find some good romance to, and some good romances up can be just as deep as anything else. There's always that like, oh, romance, it's yeah. and there's that out there. But um, I also think it, there's a reason why it's probably the most popular genre. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, and I don't, I don't actually read a lot, um, but I read. Uh, I mean, well, I mean Montgomery, you know, is certainly in, uh, I think, in that overlapping kind of world of romance. And I mean, kind of one of my favorite books of literary fiction, or literary, sorry, literary criticism is Elizabeth Epperly's Fragrance of Sweet*, yeah. Christ, which, which is true. a study of romance. Yeah.
1: yeah. And there's like the romance versus romanticism of things. Exactly. And yeah. Montgomery was, you know, um, one of the things I'm always really fascinated with by her is her sort of fascination with the romantic. Right. And that can be the sort of neat natural pastoral romanticism. But then there's also how she plays with the romance genre. Yeah. Um, and there's been a lot of work done on that. And that's that's also some of the stuff I've researched regarding, you know, my work with pre um, Gilbert Blythe and
0: Gilbert Blythe. Yeah, there you oh, go. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know, those sort of the pleasures of postponement that um I think it's Mara Gubar's. I think I'm remembering that correctly hopefully um and and how montgomery plays with with romance and so i think she i think i feel a bit of a kindred connection to that like like me you kind of love it but then you're also kind of trying to subvert it sometimes to sort of play with the tropes and so i think that she does that quite well
0: yeah yeah no it's intriguing i'll be intrigued too to see where this all this different writing and the um, l- trying to listen to diverse voices and kind of made a, um, a, g- a gender listen challenge to, or a gender read challenge to, to try and, I mean, a lot of my scholarships with men and um, on one side and then women on the other, can I, could I do 2021? That was sort of a parody year. And, and so that's about listening in new ways. And then, as I said, that Rebecca Roanhorse um, book, uh, you know, one of my the reflection I ended up writing was about well maybe it's actually maybe it's okay for me not to know exactly what to do with this book and okay to kind of listen and wait because I mean one of the questions I had was about resolution and it 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 doesn't end the way your standard sort of fantasy trilogy as she's setting it up to be the way it would end uh, and and I think that's kind of in a sense a settler question as we want the thing resolved right and and hers particularly on the indigenous side uh, um, and she's she's living in, in a, a community like that that that's actually I think a, a pretty subtle way to 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 help us reimagine things I think so I'd be curious to see where that goes for you yeah 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 i'm yeah I'm open to learning I actually quite like I, I like our moment in terms of the possibilities it just it just seems like there's just a lot of good stuff to read though yeah.
1: yeah Yeah. but the pile will never end
0: (laughs) the pile will never
1: end. like it's just gonna you know and um, yeah I think I think it's okay to the the thing I invite myself and others is the idea of being it's okay to be uncomfortable Uh, it's okay to be comfortable in the uncomfortable or uncomfortable in the uncomfortable like you know like that idea of just like you don't know what to do with it right now that's okay yeah you can just learn yeah. And, and be and, and at least you're doing that.
0: Yeah or wait. just like, yeah, yeah, just wait. Like sometimes, I mean life doesn't work like a novel, right? It doesn't resolve. In a way. It does yeah. um,
1: if it did, my life would yeah exactly.
0: That's right. yeah. And often the resolutions in novels, we have to ignore certain things, right? I mean yeah. that's how the tensions work. I mean, so tell me like so you you've already kind of brought up the the link between the two just in the way that you're reading. Your your work, I mean, you have a novel, uh, uh, mods the you know a life of Montgomery from that uh, fictional perspective. Mm -hmm. You do this scholarly work, which we're going to talk about. So, can you give me a sense of the integration of those two things—the artist and the scholar, the the writer? and the critical thinker, what, what unites that stuff for you? Cause I have a sense that there is something that pulls it together more than just like a to-do list or, or even just curiosity. What, what unites those two things
1: for you? That's a really good question. And if you looked at my whiteboard, it would totally be a to-do <laughs> list right now. I'm just looking at it going, yep. Yep. Um, yep. So I think I've like, I started in that historical fiction space, like I've read historical fiction since I was a se- seven years old. I've always been fascinated by the past and how to view it through. I mean, even when I studied history as quote unquote historian in my MA, there's also that idea that you are looking at things through a particular lens, right? That's the, the the history that we know is the history that and how we're sort of see it in how it's told and that perspective for me, the creative and the critical seem to go hand in hand because it is through the critical that I get creative. Right. Um, I'm in the process of take. So when I was working on mod, one of the big things was trying to figure out her creative process. That was because that's part of her inner journey, right. Is to be the writer. And so how do we um, look to see how she creates what does that creation process look like and as a writer um, who's consistently changing my process because that's what happens with process that was a big thing for me and um, Leaksdale Yale Montgomery Society of Ontario and Leaksdale always has this element every day in November um, and I was invited well they did a call and I was accepted to speak for a number of different years on it. And I used that opportunity to explore questions that what I was exploring in the book. So Mm -hmm. I'd use the opportunity when I was giving a talk to like, be like, well, what was Montgomery's writing process when she was writing poetry? What is she talking about? What is this sort of Mm -hmm. connection? How does that relate to some of the research I was doing? And then by doing that, I was actually able to answer questions and, and, um, I've been looking back on them because I'm working on a new paper and, you know, in some cases I like wrote fictionalized things to sort of start off the talk just to sort of play with voice because I was Mm -hmm. trying to figure out what her voice was at the time. And even now with my new research, I know there's a book that will come out of it and as most historical fiction writers will be telling you, it takes years to write because there's so much research Mm. Um, and I can't just let the research pile on in a bunch of notes. And it seems that my process is I need to go write papers about them or like 10 pages or like a talk kind of thing. And I do that to get the idea and figure it out. And it's a process of figuring it out. And I may not be completely right. And maybe not all of it will end up in the, book itself there's an exercise i give my i show my students where um i gave, take a section from mod and i show how i changed over the course of about six drafts so they can right. see the revision process um, and in one of the earlier drafts i had a total info dump about the letter bills and where they came from and blah 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 it's so boring <laughs> nobody needs to read that like in, <laughs> in the context of of a fiction book right like no one needs that And I say to them, I'm like, are we bored yet? And they go, yes, (laughs) this is because it's an info dump. But if I was writing it as a paper, part of it could be used in terms of the paper. Mm -hmm. So I think, and then I think a line from that info dump ended up in the final, final piece. So there's something about letter bills, I think in that chapter, but it's like, it takes a while, like I'm just, that's, I think I'm one of those writers that needs to write it out to figure it out and maybe I other see. writers are the same So i use the intellectual connection to get to the heart or both i don't know
0: yeah well i, th- I think that's you're right, right. I th- well, that's yeah
1: I did, but hopefully that
0: yeah exactly i think like whether it's a book reflection or a paper i'm writing to find out what i think i'm sort of um and and some of it is like you need to to tell a joke aloud to know if it's funny, right? Like, it's, yes, exactly. like yeah, yeah. It, yeah. And so the echo chamber of one's own cranium is, is just all too tight. And so um, I need to kind of shape it. And then I might discover the threads, uh, you know, the arteries of something yeah. that's bigger or whatever that comes or just like a piece that the process itself was valuable. Um, and whether or not that paragraph or page lands anywhere. Uh, the, the process itself of discovery in writing is really kind of important. Yeah. No, I yeah. agree. with
1: you. And then it might also stem from my journal writing, which I've been keeping since I was 14. And so I'm so used to writing it out and figure, and I actually write about papers in my journal. Like, right. like I don't know where this argument is going, blah, 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 blah. And I end up like complaining for 20 minutes, you know, 20 pages in the, in the journal. Um, so I think there's like this interesting dialogue that can happen when you're writing to yourself or, and then to your point, yeah, the whole idea of the joke lands, if you present it, you're like, it's like, that's why people who go to conferences, right? Present papers. You're like, does this work? Yeah. Do these, can, does this argument make sense? How can you help me? What is the dialogue we can have to help me so that I know that this is making sense? So yeah. I think I really enjoy
0: that pursuit. Yeah. And essential, of course, the historical fiction of any kind and info dump uh, is not like, so I, I love speculative fiction. And of course that's yes. a temptation. Uh, info dumps, oh, such yeah. a temptation because they create, most writers create a world Bible of some kind, like, you know, like the whole fictional world was developed uh, in, in intricate detail. And then they have to write from that. And so often that first three or four chapters is just terrible in a, a, a new writer. So, yeah. So, and of course, uh what, what, like what genre, mystery genre would be, or a thriller genre would be precisely the opposite. Like it has to be, it has to be about the slow discovery. Sometimes, the, yeah. yeah. Although
1: they all, like all genre fiction has a rhythm. A yeah. Very, very, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Good. And so I have, I have your book here. It's this beautifully designed uh, Penguin Canada uh, cover. I guess that'd be a first edition, although I don't think I was the first to buy it or anything. Yeah. And uh, I have your, your, it's all signed inside. And I knew, I knew we were kindred spirits of one sort when there's multiple color pens that you use to sign.
1: (laughs) I'm a big, I might have, you can't see it on the podcast yep. for people but i'll show you brenton i nice. i have i have um a possible pen addiction of variety of colors and things oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I use it as, it's honestly a big part of my creative process is writing in different pens and like
0: yeah hundred percent so. i have this rainbow bag in which i keep my pens and my journal and a couple of other things sometimes the book that i'm like walk reading like the in between things book what i call a commonplace book and then like there's a granola bar in there that's probably been there too long and like a toothbrush, right? So but it's like colored pens, and that's what each Christmas I get from my family some sort of colored pen collection. Yeah. Uh and it's just and color whiteboard markers for
1: class. Yeah, models. my whiteboard's got like there's like purple and pink.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The world of <laughs> of black, red, and blue in, in academia has been they've been ruling the tyranny has gone on too long. Now. <laughs>
1: exactly. Put
0: in some color. <laughs> I don't even know the colors don't always mean something. I just need to see. And then when I, when I have the colors, I do the thing like in the journal and it, even if it's not, they're not organized in any precise pattern, there's a visualization that happens for mm-hmm. me. Like I can come back and remember the moment when of creation and then, and come back and dialogue with that, especially if it's like an ideas page or something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, bullet journey, journaling does a lot with this, right. In yeah. terms of color and style and how you, pull it all up yeah so yeah
0: well done i'm i'm kind of new to the genre the this this historical fiction this fictionalized biography uh although i'm not new to ya as a whole like i'm a kind okay. of a ya lover uh um but new to this and so i actually initially just bought it for my wife who who is interested in she loves like each of the genres that this comes together and overlaps with plus uh i think she spent years foisting you know Anna. Anna Green Gables upon me before I woke up. Uh, and then I think it was Emily. I think when she finally passed me that, that clicked it for me. So I bought it for her. And then like, eventually it kind of made its way across the table to me. And so, uh, and, and I found myself, uh, what I quite liked most about it. I like, I like, I, I like the Prince Albert section most because that was the least familiar to me. Um, and, uh, but what I, liked most was the interiority of it so like because i have read through the journals and most like the letters and journals that we have access to and and things like that And, and it's a lot right there's a lot of pages and a lot of details and and some less exciting what you call info dump it's life right and i've read that and i've visited the places but prince albert was new but what So that was cool, but there was the interiority of it. So can you bring us a little bit into that discovery of Montgomery's life itself? How did that work for you? How do you find yourself coming to the point of saying, Hey, I I know this is what I'm going to capture as this moment in this transition or life or this mundane bit of uh, that adds up to the rest or this moment of discovery, that kind of thing?
1: Okay. So an easy question. No.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, well, I just just no, speak to I, your creative process. Great. Yeah, that'd, that'd be great. Um, I do want to do a shout out. You talked about the the pretty book and the mm. pretty book was designed by Lisa J, uh, Jager at Penguin Random House. So cool. Make sure that her name gets a shout out because she's very talented and the book has gotten great feedback just in terms of its visualness, which is...
0: Well, and, and some some literary feedback too, like some of the, rev- like the reviews. Oh, the reviews
1: have been, yeah. have been good, but I oh, meant like... Awesome. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Book design. Nice. Book design, I have nothing to do. I mean, they show it to me um, and I provide some feedback, but basically, you know, it's the designer. So we need to make sure they get the credit. Okay. That was a great way to procrastinate this answer. No. Um, (laughs) So let me think. All right. Um, I started with the journals Hmm. and read the sections. I actually thought it would be an additional year when I first started but it was too much. And a lot of the, I mean, a lot of what she talks about is like, you know, Molly and I going to, you know, Sam Whalen's field to pick strawberries. That's fine, but something has to happen in the scene for it to work. Right. I mean, so, and there's so there's a lot of me going here or me doing this. Um, so the first piece was like figuring out, well, her character, like what is it the character wants? Cause when you're talking about writing fiction, that's what you need to figure out. What is what is it that Maude wanted when she was 14? And how is she gonna get it? And then there's what she thinks she wants and then what she really wants. And those two things can be, they can be in conflict or they can work together. Mm-hmm. And she really wants home, right? So when it begins, she does wanna be a writer, always. That's, that's clear. But I felt like the big thing for her was she wanted to at the beginning of the book, I felt like the big piece was she wanted to see her dad and get to Prince Albert. And you kind of feel this in Montgomery anyway, like she has this sort of blind spot with her father, this devotedness to her dad, um, whether it deserves it or not is another question. But that's how she and there's that feeling that if she gets there and is in that family, everything is going to be fine. Her life can begin. Things will be better. She won't be in conflict with anyone anymore, and it's going to be great. But then she gets there. Spoilers. Uh, and well, it's it not perfect. Down around her.
0: Yeah, like, it's not. It's not perfect. That's <laughs> no. She
1: thinks she's going to have this mother figure, and she does not. Her stepmother is not who she is, and it turns out what she really. What they really wanted her for was childcare. Um, and it that's so the crushing weight of that disappointment was something I felt like is there in the journal. Um, and that is where the heart is along the side of the desire to be a writer. And the other thing is, she needs to figure out where, how she's going to be on her like when she knows that there's no one there that she's not going to get the support she wants from her family in that way. She's a single person with not a lot of support. What is she going to do? She needs to make money and she needs to make sure that she can support herself. How is she going to do that in the context of the late 19th century, right? Yeah. And she, she for all of the ways that Montgomery is subversive, she's also quite traditional and conservative in a lot. Like she 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 likes to have that sort of traditionalist around it. But also I would say there isn't there isn't a lot of options. What did she have? So she has to make she has to prove, and she was a pretty you know good student, and she likes school for the most part, unless it was Mr. Mustard in the classroom, and that's all.
0: Yeah, there. Mr. Mustard. Uh, Mr. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, she needed a good teacher, right? If she yeah. did, some, then she gets to, you know. But she has to convince her grandparents that she's worthy of being educated, and for. And that also comes out in a lot of the scholarship that has been studied about Montgomery, right? So, like, so I would look at the journals and then look at see, see what people were saying. And then I came up with my plot, right. as it were. And then I had to figure out who the characters were. Um, I created and killed many characters. Of <laughs>
2: course. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, will this ant show up? Yes, no. Well, this cousin, I had like a whole thing with a cousin and a buggy ride and stuff and that just got, Stop. James, James was killed off at some no. point. Um, and uh, because there's a lot of boys too. So figuring yeah. out which boys were important and which ones could be left alone for a while. So I mean, but the big ones were Nate and Will, so yeah. those were the big story arcs. Um, yeah,
0: Nate, in and PEI, and then Will in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, yeah. which right. North, Northwest Territories uh, yeah. at the time. Yeah. Um, and I, actually, I thought I thought that was smart. I, I thought a couple of things were smart here in okay. in that area. So, like, I thought the f- I, 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 did you actually say Four Musketeers? the, the characters, sorry, yeah. the character of one of the characters said that. Yeah. You know the Molly Polly and the boys uh, kind of quartet. Yeah. Uh, I thought it had the intensity of um, of kind of the a teenage. What I always admire about teenagers is, among friendship, it can have the intimacy of lovers, right? Yeah. And and I thought it had that, but then hurt and worry and self concern and and then. Like for for you to have a why, so it's a quite tight, right? It's two two years. It's two years of her life, yeah. Uh, and it, it begins kind of in media res, like so. It begins with a bit of disarray has 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 already occurred. That's behind the first page, I think, if I recall.
2: Yeah.
0: And so I thought, and so she's coming back, falling into patterns, and then she has certain kinds of opportunities. And I thought that you did the boys thing well. I thought the Will character was really well drawn, um, and his sister as well, who's her her, her long friend, um, heart friend in in Prince Albert. Um, what was her name? Sorry, Will's? Laura. Laura. Laura yeah. yeah. And so I thought those were well done, and, and but the boy story, the search for a home, right, where we don't. Like that's an interesting question about resolution interesting question about how a plot line works there but but you do something with that in the book that's that's uh literarily plausible and and works historically and then you have the artistry the writer's vocation the self-discovery there right which is going to be what i mean for montgomery has to be one of the stories right the boy thing doesn't finish (laughs) like i mean it's it's another decade of like boy wandering or something like that right and i it's not clear that she's settled about who she wants to be in that world for well at least 15 years later right mm-hmm. so i thought i thought you did the right thing i'm not telling anybody what you did but i thought you did the right <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: yeah yeah
1: and that's actually you know one of the this quote unquote i guess the of things i had to do yeah because i could have because it's fiction yeah I could have gone another way trying to circumvent so people don't know. But I also knew that that wouldn't be true to the character or decisions that Montgomery had to make. You have to be true to your character. And the fact is Montgomery had to choose something different. I mean, women, honestly, for the most part, for a long time, and even now feel like they have to choose between career and Family and now it's all like you can do both. Mm -hmm. Be a superhero, which has its own right, so problems. Well, I think we're
0: all just tired of doing both. (laughs) Not that we don't want to. It's just no, all is all, and so it's
1: yeah, it's like all or nothing, right? It's a
0: wearisome age that way, yeah.
1: Yeah, Um, and so late nineteenth century, like what were her choices? Yeah, and and I think in certain ways that things been different than some other. Things might have gone differently for her. Um, but I and so what was interesting was how do I craft two love stories hmm. to make them authentic and not make her seem like and make them feel different and then also not make her feel seem slight like flighty, you know, yeah. that you have that tendency, um, that whole boy crazy, right? But yeah. they needed to feel real and different.
0: But there is a cost to each. Yeah. And as there is in life, right, as our hearts work. And it's easy to read the journals and not realize kind of how the risks that Montgomery is taking socially, particularly the year before, I mean, the year you focused on in the the year before she went to, um, went away to, you know, it's one thing to go to the Baptist church or to the church hall with the Baptist for a lecture. It's another thing altogether to date one if you're a Presbyterian, because I mean... (laughs) like you know for uh, like 75 years before she was born those two groups were in cavendish um know and all they shared was a graveyard for a long time so so this is yeah so i i i thought that was well done i thought you helped people see kind of where shock would be without making it just a like a jane austen world novel because it isn't regency era it's not the same tensions and concerns and i thought that was well done i'm glad you didn't go another way like it would have been interesting if we had multiple universes to explore to know if she had met a landholder you know or Charlotown lawyer with a Cavendish summer cottage, right? <laughs> and she could just as write right. that's as one does and write to her heart's content. Right. Like the the guy that's like, yeah, yeah, right. I don't know. I like, you know, I like Charlotte Bronte. Do go do the okay. thing. Yeah. Um as she toys with Anne, like she toys with that possibility for Anne sometimes, right? And yeah. but that that didn't come from Montgomery. And I think that might have been like a bridge too far to do that historically. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, no. And and that actually I didn't even like that that never like to have like a total fictional person pop <laughs> in to do anything like that, I would never have considered that. Um all of the characters are either amalgamations of people that existed. Or people that existed, but even the people that existed are my own. Like I took the journals as a way to serve as a baseline, but uh that's my cat meowing, yeah, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> um he likes he has things he also wants to say, which is why Of course.
0: He- well, I think the 2020s will be the decade of the cat bomb. Right. I think <laughs> right. that's so the cat I apologize
1: to your tech person. Um <laughs> yeah, so like they were was the baseline, but then they had to become their own character right? Um, and so, and that goes for even with the romances. Um, and that also meant looking at what heteronormativity looked like, and also what queerness looked like, right? Because Montgomery kisses Laura, they have this passionate relationship. Mm -hmm. So it was important to also reflect that in the way that felt, that felt like it was, um, that felt 19th century, like authentic to the period, right? Because you want to make sure that these things are represented in a way that makes sense, but also as a reflection on how people can see it now, like there's a lot of things you can, you know, there is that fine line you have to walk. Right. Yeah. So, um, but in terms of the authenticity of those boy relationships, it was never going to be some guy we sweeping in and taking her away or whatever and letting her write her to her heart's and content. <laughs> it was never going to be that. It was always going to be she's going to have to choose herself in yeah. some way.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and uh, in the end, she does choose to go in a complex path of everything in a sense, and does yeah. so before she, she becomes does. famous. Yeah, yeah, but but she does so after she's become a professional and. Uh, establish that and that's uh, one of the things one of the things i like is how this book teases up the literary possibilities because it, it is in prince albert where we see
2: mm-hmm. i guess our th-
0: first three pieces come out all oh, two are published during that time one a little bit later yeah uh, from the journey home and so I, I i like that i think this is this is a good as i told you before 50 pages before the end i was i was like where how <laughs> where do how do we go yeah
1: yeah, and um, I have to tell you, like, writing that Prince Albert section, mm-hmm. I mean, I I, I enjoyed re- writing all parts of the book, obviously, but there was something about writing that Prince Albert section. I think it's because she's fine. It, I, lo- I really like Will as a character. Mm. <laughs> I think that's part of yeah. it. Crush on my own character. Yeah, there you go.
0: That happens. Yeah. Um,
1: but honestly, while I was writing it, there was a point where I was writing it where it was like my character did not want to go. I had to like force myself out of Prince Albert. I'm like, we have yeah. to go on now. We need to finish our book, you know. Um, and so I, I actually tried to use that because it it did feel like there was that push pull of like she didn't want, she didn't necessarily want to go. There was yeah. things keeping her, but she had to and
0: it's a bit tra it's a bit tragic, like the Yeah. The the different characters, like the possibilities that the different characters could have, and and I was there, and I was like, oh, I wish we could pop them out. Um, and you effectively kind of have these kind of encounter moments where, in a movie, everything changes. Yeah. But but they don't necessarily change in the book. I'm trying not to do too much here, but I think yeah. you did yeah, I think you framed that intentionally, right? Um yeah. but on the other on the other side too, what I think I love one of the things I love about YA books is you're allowed to have friends. Like your friendship mm-hmm. is valuable on its own. It doesn't yeah. have to mean something or get somewhere or do something, right? That's is that, am I reading? Yeah. Yeah,
1: Great. I think so. I think you I mean I, I do see this in some quote unquote adult fiction, right? Yeah. Um, but, I mean, imagine, remember your teenage friendships. They're, mm-hmm. the, they're the point where you're trying to figure out who you are. Who are the people that are going to stand with you? You're figuring out your politics. You're figuring out your identity. These are the people who are either going to stick with you or not, right? Um, and that's why, you know, for some of us, we can't go back to our high school. <laughs> some of us, we cannot. <laughs> we're gone, you know? yeah. um, and I think... I had a wonderful group of friends in high school um, I still maintain contact with m- m- most of them, many of them. Mm-hmm. And you know who you are, if you're the- <laughs> my friends in high school. Well,
0: shout um, out. This is a shout, shout out
1: to the, to the To them, they were, because you may not connect with your family, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so if I kind of relate, like, I think like Montgomery created networks of friendships, because her family in a lot of ways she she was felt like an outsider so her friend and a lot of people do this right we hear about the families you create you create a network of friendships to help connect to you so that you and so that you can find your people and i think and when you're not when you're a teenager that's what you're doing. You're figuring out who are your people who are going to mm-hmm. be that extended family so that you can, you can feel, you can find your people who are going to be there for you. Yeah, and so awesome. I was trying, and I think like that, you know, the, the foursome, and then it's sad when it, when it ends, like yeah, it's
0: never the same. It's, the it's same. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, Penzi moves on, Molly moves on eventually, you know, and you kind of see this in the journals too. Like you find yeah. out what happens to them and it's all really
2: it's sad. Not as, it's very really sad, yeah.
1: Um, you know, Nate, what happens? You know, So like, there's like that moment where like it ha- it's amazing. And then as with all things, as with all growth, things shift, right? Yeah. And then what does that happen? But you think it's going to be the same, you know?
0: Well, there you go. And I'm I'm sensitive to our time. We could just lose ourselves oh, in all the little yeah, lovely no, grace. <laughs> no, no, this is why we, we actually set this up precisely for this to happen. This is what we're doing.
1: Yeah. But
0: I do want to talk about one almost friendship. Uh, I want to talk about Edie. Is that how 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 do I say Yeah, it?
1: Edie. I believe so. Yeah. And,
0: and so Edie comes out of the journals as a person yeah. in Montgomery's life in Prince Albert. And you'd use this as a moment to kind of fill out Montgomery's story and and set it up in a certain kind of way, where uh, well, jeepers, a hundred and like thirty years later, we're uh, we're just much more context sensitive. Uh, Prince Albert wasn't just an invention out of nowhere. The city, yeah. uh, it it uh, there was a people, a context, a place uh, there, uh, and uh, uh, you know Canada is a. Uh, uh an invention of the mind but the physical space has been uh you know i am in prince Edward island obviously and this is the not just the historical you know ancestral home of the Mi'kmaq, but the ongoing uh, yeah. home and and so t- tell me a little bit uh about that i'm not so much that people have the whole thing but enough that invites them to see how you're you're bringing this kind of positive moment into the text yeah into the story
1: so there's an invitation right Mm -hmm. montgomery writes a lot about indigenous peoples in her journal and in two of her essays and not always in the most culturally sensitive way Mm -hmm. he is um writing about them in a context that is very popular to the 19th century, like it was very much the way in which racialized groups were being discussed. And it's something that I had to reckon with. At the same time, I questioned, and it's actually one of the things I was really, I mean, in one of the papers I gave, I talked about this a lot because I'm like, why does she spend in a Western Eden half the essay talking about indigenous people? Absolutely. Why is she doing that? There is a reason she's trying to subvert something. She doesn't, her humor. Doesn't land always? because She's figuring it out. Again, this is her as a young writer trying to figure it out. It doesn't land. Sorry, Montgomery fans, if you're. It's. I mean, it's. But it's a.
0: The two pieces that those first two nonfiction pieces are pretty and literary and funny at parts, but the second one is definitely better for humor than the first. Yeah. Um, And you're right that when we come to that piece, like we we see the figure of of the these um, you know the prairie indian i think she called she calls them and in other names too and yeah uh, we probably don't we can't see it quite the same way so yeah please sorry yeah,
1: yeah so she you know she talks about them she talks about this lent like she's seeing them through her white gaze mm-hmm. right so i had to make a choice and i remember thinking about this i'm like i can be really uncomfortable and explore this or whitewash the whole thing. And I Mm. wasn't able to do that because that would be a disservice to the indigenous peoples and what happened to them. There are scenes that I wish I could have included in the book to give it more context, but they didn't fit in terms Mm. of the plot. So that didn't happen. So I looked at the essays, I looked what she said, and I tried to see how this can all come. How could I do this in an authentic way? But as a person who is not indigenous, um, it was my responsibility to make sure that I found someone who I actually looked, it took me four years to find someone <laughs> who was willing, well, not willing, who was the right fit. I had, I had a couple people beforehand. I had one person who read like one version, but they weren't writing is revision. So I was really, I really wanted to make sure someone could work with me to make sure that that, that they could, and I, I you know, to pay that person, you have to pay your consultant. It's really important. So um, I finally found a, a woman named Gloria Lee, who grew up in the Chip Lake Reserve in northern, right, uh, sort of north of Prince Albert, I believe, and she was willing to work with me And she saw many drafts, she was so amazing. And it was actually through conversations with her that she's like, you know, a Métis young girl could have come to work in a home. That could have been something that they would have done and it would be really authentic. And I was like, oh, and then she's willing to sort of work with me to make sure that we made sure the character was authentic, that the lens was, you know, and any, you know, I've made sure I tried my best I probably made mistakes and any mistakes I make, I totally put on my shoulders. Um, but I, I, the whole point for me was to give voice to the Métis people and to the other indigenous people, the Cree nation people of Northern Saskatchewan at the time and what was happening to them. Um, and how Montgomery and her family were like, it's so complex. Right. And I wasn't about to be able to solve
0: it, all. Solve it all in one go.
1: Does not like I wish she was one of those characters who'd stand up and like Anne with an E. Oh, yeah. Anne with an E. Could she stand up and fight for our indigenous people? But Montgomery was not that like my the Montgomery that I saw in terms of this character and who she was. That's not who she is, right? Like you see, when Montgomery does any kind of fighting, it's all subversive through her work. I find she's not a protester. No, <laughs> a no. Yeah,
0: except for maybe she does some of the
1: protest, but yes. in a very different way. And I think it doesn't necessarily like work a hundred percent. But I think in her way, that Western Eden essay was her way of being like. There's something happening here. Well, and I I'm not that. comfortable with it, and and I think that I may not have all the answers, and I may, but I'm hoping it, it invites an invitation to discuss it. To it does.
0: I it does it for me as a reader. Um, yeah. And so, and I would have liked to see more of Edie, the Edie character. Uh, you know, the same way like that last season of *Man with a Knee*, I would have loved to see that character. And right. I wonder now. I realize I may have read a little bit of her into the Edie character, just personality wise, but I thought she was kind of sweetly drawn, but I do think so at one point, you know, Montgomery walks past with pity and compassion, people who are poor and Mm. it's a past walking moment. um, And another uh, and probably gave money to like missions that Sunday to help, you know, you know, some, some person somewhere else, but not, Necessarily, the person next door, but then did tell the story too, uh, with uh, with some degree of of uh, poignancy in the yeah. Western Eden essay. And so, the Western Eden essay is now in that. Um, is it a name a name for herself that collection?
1: Yeah, you um, can get that in the name for herself. Yeah, God. good. Um, there's yeah. an older version in that a year before Anne, which is the one I used when I was right. working on the book, because that's the one that was available to me. Sure, um, yeah. But right. yeah.
0: Yeah, that's right. And Ben of the editor is is a fairly careful editor, and so it would be oh, yes. as accurate uh, and probably accurate to the because it got reprinted a couple of times and yeah. so probably got butchered along the way there too. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. So sensitive to time, and we're coming to the end of our time. And I do want us okay. to peek forward a little bit. Yeah. Uh, uh, I do want to highlight, and I, and I know we don't have time to talk about it right now, but your my pen shall heal not hurt essay was really important to me as a scholar yeah no i really appreciated it i was trying to figure out what montgomery is doing in that really hard point of her life 1915 16 when she's writing Anne's house of dreams she just lost the child the war's begun and then she pulls out this really i think literary and philosophical book and and so your your essay about um writing as i think both self-healing but but uh, I was also reading it forward to to offer healing in a certain kind of way so so I appreciate that tell me t- can you tell me and you've kind of spoken I think a bit to, to that process sure. tell me you just did a piece or it just came out I'm sure it's been years of the works but you just a piece just it came is. out <laughs> yeah that's right on the two ends Anne Frank mm-hmm. Anne of Green Gables yeah. this is not these are not two ends that often sit at the same panel together Thank you, so, yeah. Yeah, tell, tell me how they're kindred spirits or, or, or enemies or whatever it is you discovered in, in the journals. Yeah,
1: um, the idea actually came to me like seven years, like a really long time ago, <laughs> but I don't think I was ready to really look at it. Um, so, um, I'm really fascinated at that sort of hybrid creative nonfiction and academic and can you get the two to meet? in a way. And so this essay was a way for me to play with form. And I was really Mm. grateful that um, the Journal of Elle Montgomery studies allowed me to play with form. Um, It got peer reviewed and then it also got like, we had a wonderful conversation. I mean, Kate Scarth in particular was Mm. essential in the editing process. So shout out to her. Um, She was amazing and everyone else on there, they're great. But how the two met for me, is um, I read them around the same time as a kid. So I was about nine. I talked about this in the essay, but when I was nine, I read the of Van Frank, and then I started, started to read The Anne of Green Gables and then stopped. And there's a reason why, I don't want to spoil it, <laughs> the essay. No. Okay. Um, but there's a reason why, and then I pick it up again. Um, when I'm 12 and I have just reread and the Diary of Anne Frank again, because my school was going to see a production of it. And I think we were studying it or something. Um, And the way I see it is that Anna Green Gables to me was kind of a survival narrative. So she was like a counterbalance to Anne Frank who was murdered and for who she was. And as a, And I talk a lot about the trauma it is to grow up as a Jewish person and never not knowing that you were people who were massacred in a Holocaust in the 19, like not to get too heavy in that, but that is the thing you live with. And so I think I mentioned this at the beginning, like, how do you get, how can you live with that? But then also find the joy. There's, you know, there's a lot of conversations about how do you find joy when you're trying to also deal with trauma, right? So this essay was a way for me to figure out that part of it. And then as I was looking at the two of how both Montgomery and Frank have been misconstrued a lot by the popular, you know, and Frank is always like, put on a pedestal is like this saintly, you know, I wish people were better in spirit. And like, it's, She's complex. She was a writer. She she revised numbers of like her diary is more like there's a whole revision thing that it's just mm-hmm. fascinating. And Montgomery does the same thing. And I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> like it just sort of like like the idea that you can look at these two as writers and how they worked in terms of their process. And that can be really informative to a writer as yeah. well. So um It was a hard essay emotionally to write, um, but I hope people can get something out of it and also see how both Anne Frank and Montgomery can be mentor texts for for writers as well in terms of process.
0: Well, and it's a bit autographic, life writing, autoethnographic. Your own story is part of the data set, I guess we might say. Yeah, I go in my
1: channels and
0: Yeah. And uh, and I should I shouldn't like readers should note or listeners should note that (laughs) Melanie Fishbane has the name like Anne hidden in it twice, right? In both names, Melanie and and Fishbane both have Anne. Oh,
1: Um, I never even noticed that.
0: Both misspelled, so like your destiny has been set towards (laughs) the Anne's.
2: that, there yeah
0: was, there you go and of course a little less uh no your, your middle name's not jane right so that I don't would be just
1: Jennifer, so I don't Jennifer.
0: That oh good. that's that's pretty close and then <laughs> the uh and, and and of interest like a recent kind of study of most translated books has for the netherlands the diary of Anne frank and for canada and of green gables and so i right. think that's a, an intriguing link between the two so yeah. you're a prophetess in this particular moment uh so that's good <laughs> there we go we just have a moment to bring this to a close sure. what's what's on your writing desk or your scholarly calendar to, is there something that that uh, you're working
1: oh on? my goodness um as I look at my to-do list
0: something um, you can share that you know like something on the way that you're well so
1: I've got um I am working on a piece another novel um hmm. that is in process so I but I'm not going to necessarily talk about that a little bit because it's sort of in progress um and then i have i've been working on combining all of the papers i gave on montgomery's early writing to put it together for something hopefully for the journal and hopefully they'll like it you know i don't know um and then i have a um, an essay on on gilbert Blythe that is um also in progress so
0: Yeah. dreamy dreamy gilbert Blythe. all dreamy right yeah i i guess i'm one of i did not have a crush on him in the movies the kevin's all in the movies now sorry no. so yeah <laughs> but some did i think i'm pretty sure my partner did so the <laughs> the uh um so yeah oh well look mel thank you so much for oh, sitting you. down so and speaking much. with us
1: i hope that's i didn't funny. talk too much
0: yeah, that's that's why we're here it's <laughs> to talk talk to to talk too much <laughs> right right right
1: excellent right. thank Good. you Excellent.
0: All right. Well, that brings us to a close. As always, you can check out the work of the Ellen Montgomery Institute at ellenmontgomery.ca, including interactive features, guest blogs, news about conferences, calls for papers, the newest releases of the Journal of Ellen Montgomery Studies, including pieces by our guest, Melanie Fishbane, and links to digital resources like the beautiful online repository, Kindred Spaces. Now, if you enjoyed the ModCast and would like others to enjoy it as well, please share on social media, give us a rating, really helps spread the news about the ModCast and the Institute's work and help gets the word out about cutting edge research and the new initiatives. I am your host, Brenton Dickerson, and I'm here with technical director, Christy McKinney. Thinking about our conversation today, I think it would be lovely to end with a benediction that I've adapted from Mel's novel, Mod. May you, dear listeners, create stories that come from the dark corners of your soul, giving voice to your rainbow valleys, shining waters, and disappointed houses, too. Farewell.